Ready? Hello and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. This is episode 26-8 and we are your hosts. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. And every week we listen to video game music, the best video game music from all consoles and all generations. Uh, we pick a topic, we find some music, we listen to it, we talk about it, we talk about the games, we talk about everything else in between. Um, and that's what we do. And th- I'm really excited about this week's episode, but I want to ask Pernell, what have you been playing video game-wise well, this week? Honestly, I've been kind of a little bit all over the place. So, uh, Indie Guide In episode, new upcoming game is one called uh, Crypt of the Necromancer or something like that. So not Necrodancer, <laughs> an actual Necromancer. Um, or sort of the Necromancer, that's what it's called. My apologies. Um, so I'm playing that. It's like a roguelike where you use your weapon to resurrect monsters you've killed and you can be able to fight for you. It's an interesting little gimmick. Cool. Um, a friend convinced me to download a game called Muse, like Muse Dash, which I've been ignoring for ye- months, actually, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it just I looked boring I've to me. I've seen some playthroughs, some gameplay of that one. It looks pretty neat. It's, it's one of those games where it seems bland because it's like, oh boy, there's two lanes and cute characters and... I don't care about this. I need... I'm used to games like pop music with nine button scales and even guitar for say like five buttons. Let's see, two lanes just makes it seem simple. Yeah. Kind of like how Tycho was. Tycho, Tycho yeah. does get really hard. You think it's I'm simple. I'm still like, it's two lanes. But it's, um, Donkey Konga was like the same way, wasn't it? Where it was like one, two, and then together, and then a clap. Yep. And that was and then what, But then the friend convinced me to buy this game and I bought it and... It gets pretty freaking hard for there just being two buttons. Like, it gets stupid hard. So, on the positive and typical, you know, fashion, the game has a max difficulty of, like, 11, and I started out playing at 8, 9. So, again, the skill transfer is full effect. Uh, Aside from that, more ease 9. I beat Cave Story... So that's my first in February. My first four in February game. I saw you playing it on a CRT also. Oh, no, no, that was Steam. Oh, I that took that photo off my old laptop. Oh, that's your old so, laptop. Oh, okay. So, like, I beat that, beat it in two sittings. And it's funny because it was me trying to test out recording game footage because I want to actually start trying to post game footage. I don't know how to go about doing it. Like, it's not quite Twitch yet, mm-hmm. but it's still this element of saying, I'm playing this game. Maybe someone will want to see how I did it. I can record it, save it, and That'd then awesome. drop it somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I was recording that. And the sound was like slightly off and I wasn't sure why. So I've been trying to experiment and figure out why. And it took me like two and a half, no, sorry, two and a half it took like an hour and a half to beat the final area of Cave Story, which is supposed to be pretty hard. And for my older memories, it was pretty hard too. But on this run, it took me an hour and a half. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, come on. Not their friend just told me he could beat it in two and a half to three minutes. So after that, I you know I posted, I recorded it, tested. It I was like, oh, well, this is the best I could do. I was all upset about it. And then while going back to test the microphone to see if I could change the settings and get it right, I did it all in one trip. Like just blitzed it. Like y'all be kidding me? So now I can just knock this whole thing out with no problem. Well, before I, I was struggling. Well, yeah, because it's like you gotta like learn. You know, like once you've learned how to do it, you now it's like you just you just bolt through it. And I'm hoping I can do that with some other games. Like, give me some, like, Ninja Gaiden plays or something. Like, I want I want genuine recommendations. That's why I always bug people. I was like, I would like to hear recommendations. Like, hey, play this. 
mostly because I was like, I yeah. want to see if you can play it well. Like, it's not necessarily like, play this game, I like it. So it's more you, like... you're looking for difficult titles? Well, let's not go nuts here, because I'm sure someone's <laughs> just like, play this game on, like, You're looking for challenging. Challenging. Uh, challenging, uh, but fun. Okay. Like, a game where it's like, hey, try this game and see if you attach it. So, like, if you know I play... If you know I don't like sports games, I'll say, hey, Pernell, play Mario Tennis on, like, Nightmare Difficulty. Like, well, I don't want to play it. Like, but if you're like, hey... This game plays kind of like Ninja Gaiden, and it's a bit challenging. You should mm. give it a shot. I know you like platformers. Like, yeah, I'll give it have a you, go. Have you played Axiom Verge yet? I have barely. I barely touched it. Get on I that. That's, it. that's a good one. I don't know if I can stream that one, because I have it on Vita. Oh, okay. Well, you get on Steam. Get it on Steam. You know how many Steam games I own right now? Get another and one. I just <laughs> bought one today. I have, like... 300 and I know this is nothing for the for the masses admittedly but uh, I think I have like 300 and something games on Steam okay I have like maybe four Steam games so like I never use it before we get on today's topic which I'm really excited about um, I have a few things I want to discuss uh, first it's a correction from last week's episode which was the video game love story part two um, is this is this the, is this the EB segment <laughs> yeah this is the electric boogaloo special um, I had no idea, but that Jack Nicholas's uh, it's called Jack Nicholas's Turbo Golf. Where's a Hyper Golf? I forget Turbo Golf on the on the Turbo Graphics CD was incredible. That song was awesome, and all of that music I did not know. And that game was stock music from a company called Network Music, and the uh, <laughs> and the track is called Electric Nights, and it's composed by John Archard and Ronald Irwin Satterfield. And apparently there's a bunch of other like uh, TGCD games that are just stock music. But that song was has been in my head. I can't get it out. I can hear it right now. I can still hear it in my head. Um, it's so catchy. So that was pretty yeah, It's cool. always weird when you come across like stock music games like that. Because I, I know I've definitely chosen a track on this show. Oh, yeah. From Overcooked. Yeah, Overcooked. Overcooked yeah, was that, like that. that was like a stock, stock music company. Um, but another thing that he brought up was that uh, Spencer Nielsen, who did the music for Sonic CD and Echo the Dolphin, also used to do music for network music. So there's some kind of uh, a connection between this stock music company and video games um, that just kind of fit. So I thought that was really cool. So I want to thank Electric, uh, Electronic Boogaloo. Electronic, the Electronic the, Boogaloo. The Electronic Boogaloo. Thank you so much for that, that correction. Um, the proper name. Electric Boogaloo is what his friends call him. <laughs> yeah, Electronic Boogaloo is what his mother calls him. <laughs> uh, also, uh, uh, when this episode comes out, this episode this episode's actually coming out on my birthday. So that's that's pretty cool. Happy uh, birthday when you listen to the episode. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> uh, but this coming Saturday, the 20th, um, I will be doing a DDR marathon stream from uh, 12 p.m. for about four hours and raising money for Project Hope, which provides... Uh, medical gear, medical um, training to people working during the pandemic, and also matching every donation on the stream for the Delaware Center for Justice, which is helping uh, the, uh, helping improve the rights of those incarcerated, those leaving the prison system, um, youth at risk, and uh, the victims of crime. They're doing a lot of good work in the city and in Delaware as a whole. So uh, we'll be supporting Great that justice. on the 20th. So come in. Um, donate a dollar or two and send me some song requests. I'll do them all. I don't care what it is. I'll just play it. He's not lying. He'll do them all. I will do He'll step, step, step. Yeah, I'll have like a little list. It's, I actually have like a little to-do list that's going to be up on the screen. So if you 
send the request in through like, it's like a Google form. It shows up on the to-do list and I have to click it off. So it'll be on the screen. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be cool. I'll have like a little like tally of how many I've done. Um, so that'll be exciting. So check that out. Um, and then also uh, next Thursday, which will be the 25th, will be our next Patreon live stream. Um, we haven't picked a topic yet. We haven't chosen the topic yet. But that will be, um, we'll have that listed on our Patreon page and probably on our Facebook group shortly. Hopefully, we can, maybe you can think of one before the episode is over. Yeah, we, I meant to, to talk to you about that during our um, our Patreon our Patreon chat. Maybe our, even winter, our because early technically chat. we've never done it. Well, I don't think we've done a winter Patreon before, did we? Not on winter Patreon, but like I, I think like our fifth episode of the show was like winter music. Oh, we've done yeah. winter. <laughs> we've done winter like twice, but we've never done a Patreon winter. Yeah. All right, so yeah. I don't want to drag this on any longer, so let's get into the show. Pranel, I did this episode because I wanted to learn more about it, and I know that you have a lot of personal experience with the Sega Channel. I do. I love the Sega Channel. The Sega Channel, before we even talk about the history elements of it, the general personal experience of the thing was that originally I wasn't a big fan of the Genesis. Like, I played the Genesis, but I was a Super Nintendo and Turbo Graphics guy, like, just flat out. If it was Genesis, basically the interest I had was Sonic and Streets of Rage. That was pretty much it. Uh, like, I played other games, yeah, like Shadow Dancer and all, but I just didn't care. So, Sega Channel comes along. And it was a genuinely pro- quality product. It was the, I don't remember, I think I saw a commercial for it on TV or something. But yeah. the idea was that you could get it from Comcast. And it was like a bunch of games as they were advertised. They were beamed into your house. <laughs> um, this is pre-broadband. This, is, this was started in 94. So, this is pre- mm-hmm. Pre broadband, pre all, like, all ran fast through internet. coax cable. Yeah, crazy. So you paid like, 50, I want to say it was like 15, 20 bucks, mm-hmm. and they pretty much sent it out. They came out to your house, they set it up for you, and you could play. Fun factoid about this, by the way. Typically, when you get cable in your home, you can get a splitter, and they'll just send the signal through all your TVs. Yeah, I was second channel about, though, about, like the logistics of this because you actually did this, and when I was younger, I. I mean, I was a big Sega kid. Like, I loved the Genesis. That was all I played. But I didn't, I didn't think this was a thing that we could get in Wilmington. <laughs> so, oh, I was, you, oh, I was the guy. Like, between this, also, fun, fun fact, this and cable internet, I was the guy in my neighborhood that oh, was wow. pushing to get it because no one else talked about it. Mm. I was the only person in my entire zip code, pretty much, that had Sega Channel because I was called. I was like, I want to get it. 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 I was like, Why we got it. Jesus. You want to subscribe? Like, yes. Um, but so basically, you know, they came out and you weren't able to split the signal. You couldn't split the signal. They had to run a cable line specifically for Sega Channel into your wow. house. So, okay, that's amazing. In addition to begging my mother to set the subscription fee up or subscription up, I had to then rebeg my dad and mom to let them drill an extra hole into the house to run a cable in. <laughs> So uh, they agreed. They ran the cable in. It was connected to the Save with Sega Channel adapter, which was essentially a cartridge with a big block on top. And that was that. You turned it on. You got a cool Sega Channel menu with this little guy holding a TV in one hand and I guess a controller in the other. And you got access to a screen that at first would kind of look like the news. Like, this is the new stuff for this month. Yeah. And then you would get a series of channels that would list out you know, like different categories, like, you know, the action zone or sports nebula or something. And then you'd open it up and it would be a list of games available for that month. If there was a promo category, they'd have a promo category. 
where you could click on it and do the promo thing. If there was an actual contest associated with the promo, they had a little splash screen that told you about it. Like it was a legitimately quality product for the time. And the best part about it was again, it was like 15, 20 bucks a month. My ass was broke. So the fact that I could pay this much money and get to play all the games that I couldn't afford, well, maybe not all of them, but definitely most of the games I wanted to play but couldn't afford and then some, it meant the world to yeah, me. That's really cool. I think that was what they were going for. So a little bit of history about the Sega channel. So the Sega channel, so, okay, early uh, mid mid to early 90s. I think uh, real quick, I just thought oh, about yeah. something. Should we do a track first and then get into this stuff? Yeah, actually, I'm going to start, I'm going to play, um, because I'm going to play some of the menu, the original menu music, and some of the menu music is actually pretty short. So I'm going to play a couple back-to-back, um, okay. and, then, and then I'll start getting into a little bit of the history of the system and how it worked. The lore. Um, and then, like, because it's, I mean, it's, there's not a to be honest. There's not a whole lot about it out there because Sega didn't really hang on to a lot of this stuff, and because a lot of this stuff was a lot of the games and a lot of the the, the content created wasn't held onto the cartridge. The cartridge would just drop it as soon as it was turned off. It was it wasn't hold, held into any long term memory. It was just flash memory. Um, so we'll listen to some music. We're going to start with um, the music. Is this? So the music of the Sega Channel, all of the menu music, and it was it would change from like month to month, and depending on the different channel that you chose. So like, like you said, like there's there was um like the early, like early releases. I forget what they called early releases, but then there was like the Sports Arena and Fantasyland, and it was all like kind of grouped together in different different uh, content subjects. But it was all the music was done by the composer John Baker, who did music for Toe Jam and Earl. So it's got a really specific sound. And it's really fun. So we're going to start with a track called Baker's Funk, which I think was like probably like the opening theme. And then we're going to hear music from uh, the Sports Arena and the Think Tank, both composed by John Baker. Thank 
All right, that was Baker's Funk and the Sports Arena slash the Think Tank from the Sega Channel Menu Music, composed by John Baker. So did that take you take take it back to some memories for now? <laughs> I didn't quite re- recognize the Sports Arena Think Tank track, but somehow the Baker's Funk started to click for me. Like I like I feel like I it's like I didn't remember. I couldn't like I couldn't listen to just like also like one of Chris Baines's like quizzes or anything. I'm like, oh yeah, it's totally Baker's Funk, but. <laughs> Hearing it play out again, it was very recognizable, and I could recall it because yeah. I spent a lot of time in those menus trying to decide what game am I going to play today. So, so the the um, the sports one, I had a feeling you probably wouldn't remember because you were you were never really into sports games, right? Yeah, but the Think Tank was probably Puzzlers. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like some Poyo or something like that. And they did have Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine on there, so yeah, I definitely. That, I had that cartridge, but I, had, I got that cartridge eventually when I was in high school and I was collecting. And then I lost it all. <laughs> in the great console wars. No, I just, just you know, people move and you lose things. Um, so here's a little history. All right. So in the U.S., um, it was released in 1994, right? So mm-hmm. at this time in, in 94, and even, even earlier than this, uh, the American rental market was cutting into game sales. And so you start to see games getting like stupid difficult. You know, it, it would take forever. You had to rent them over and over again to beat them. Um, Legend of the Lion King and all that. And so Sega was like, hey, we can break this market if we were just to be able to deliver games directly to the consumers, right? And they can just, they can rent them. They could play new ones that we can just, we could just beam them straight to their homes. Um, so five, I wrote down five years. I don't that doesn't make any sense, but years prior, Sega made a modem to the Sega Mega Drive in Japan called the MegaNet and they could download, it was like 12 or 13 games they could download. And so that's where they started figuring it out that what they could do. Cause at the time, um, uh, uh, data transfer over phone cable, phone lines was a thing, but not over cable. So, um, leading up to 94, <laughs> they were like, how can we get this to the houses? but faster. So they started working with American cable companies to say, how can we, like people already have cable um, TV in their houses. How can we use those same lines to deliver data? And so they discovered that uh, um, sending data through the same cable lines actually introduced a whole lot of noise and the the noise needed to be cleared up or they needed to create some kind of um, uh, algorithms and programs to read the data through that noise so that they could actually, you know, send and receive uh, video games. And so they, I'm not sure if Sega helped the cable companies develop that technology or if the cable companies developed the technology to, to accommodate the Sega channel, but they did and it eventually worked. And it wasn't too much later that cable internet and cable broadband um, became um, a normal thing in, in, in America and around the world. Um, and so you can you can credit the Sega channel to cable broadband internet. Isn't that crazy? It makes you wonder, because like, on one hand, I want to think that they would have gotten to that eventually, but it does make sense to realize that it is very likely that that led, that, ex- that accelerated the process of getting us to that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think it did accelerate it. And I have a feeling, uh, Sega of America, in the 90s, Sega was gigantic and um, widely popular. They were making so much money that they probably did have a lot of influence. And again, I'm I'm speculating. There's not a lot of information 
or oral history written about the Sega channel or, or this part of the history. But um, I'm speculating that they probably had a lot of influence on the market and on the cable companies doing this sort of thing. So uh, um, the Sega channel data, excuse me, was being um, sent um, from, I think it was a Tennessee, Texas or Tennessee, I think it was in Tennessee, was the main um, was the main place where it was all coming from. Um, and those, all of that data was being beamed up to a satellite, and then it was being picked up by all of the different uh, cable companies around the country. And then from there, from those cable companies, from those specific places, and for us, it was Comcast in Philadelphia, and other places, it was Time Warner or whatever it is. Um, and then they were they were creating a whole separate infrastructure just for this data, which then that data would be used for the internet. That is wild. I think that is one of the coolest pieces of this history that I've ever heard. Um, it's amazing to think yeah. of it as like, it's less like, cause everyone talks about Nintendo in regards to how much they pioneer various game technologies mm. and the like, and it's true. Nintendo really does, but no one ever talks about Sega channel in that regard. And mm. I would, I would say to my dying breath that Sega, even if you just looked at the Sega channel by itself, yeah, they went a long ways to pioneer some things. They did a lot. Oh, they <laughs> Sega's always been been pioneering a lot of hardware and things like. But we can get into that soon. But um, so it was released in '94. It was eventually discontinued in '98. So that's probably why not a lot of people remember it because it was only around for four years. So it was yeah. out in '94. Oh, what a four years! At, at its peak, which was about '95, '96, it had over 250,000 subscribers. Which I, it's not big, but it's you know for what it is, it's it's I guess for the it's time it was. And you got to figure also this was before people were communicating online probably like heavily anyway. Oh yeah, like yeah. AOL was existing, but not heavily. So these were just like small pockets of people that might have seen commercials here and there. Just oh like, yeah, I want to try that. Yeah, or like you're in this like uh, at the mall or something, and there's like a sign for it, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. I've never heard of that before. Um, so one of the biggest problems with the Sega Channel that being released in '94. Was that in early '95, the CEO of Sega, Hayao Nakayama, ended development for the Sega Genesis and all of its add-ons? Um, and that turned, makes a lot of sense too, yeah. because I do remember there was a period while owning the Sega Channel where new games just weren't popping up, likely yeah. because new games weren't being they were made. Not being made. So that meant that it only had its peak early in its lifetime, since no newer games were being developed. So. Like the only games that were going to be on the Sega channel were probably titles that have already been out for a while or for a year. When one of the coolest things about the Sega channel was playing early versions, early betas of games, specifically games like Comic Zone and stuff like that. And also um, exclusive games um, that were only released in Europe or in the Japanese markets that you can suddenly play on the Sega channel. Um, so that, that's really neat um, that they were allowing you to do that. But it's really unfortunate. Like, like they must have been, maybe they probably had planned to do this way earlier than 95. I mean, the 94, if if they had eventually ended the development of, of the Genesis in 95. Um, maybe just the infrastructure wasn't quite ready to handle it at the time. And by the time everything was up and ready to go... That could there be, or maybe like maybe their development on because um, MegaNet, um, the the modem that they had in Japan wasn't really popular um, either. So I'm wondering if maybe they had too many resources on MegaNet when they maybe could have done more into the American market. I, I don't know how that how that would have worked out, but um, but yeah. So 
Um, let's get into some more music, and then we'll start talking about some of the um, some of the exclusive games that were only on the Sega channel that you can get in the United States. Well, I'll, I guess that can be a good way to start that conversation off cool. because, fun fact, every track I picked from this for this episode is a game that I only ended up playing because I had access to Sega Channel. Um, without Sega Channel, I would not have played these games, whether because they were exclusive to Japan or simply because I would have just never picked it up. And also because this will be an interesting segue into one of your factoids because... <laughs> Oh my god, it's been bugging me. And then the last part is because after last week's episode, now that, well, I guess in the future time when this episode releases, now that the stink of Valentine's is beyond us, yes. I can pick some <laughs> happier tracks and lighter tracks. And what a way to kick that logic off by then by picking this one. Mega Man The Wily Wars, Wily Tower 2, composed by Kinuyo Yamashita. Oh yes, yeah, classic Capcom goodness here on the Sega Genesis, which... For years, I couldn't believe that there was a Mega Man game released on the Mega Drive, you know, on a Sega system. I didn't even know it existed until I saw it on a Sega channel. <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing. All right, here we go. This is uh, Wow, Wowie, Wowie Tower. Wowie Tower. It's over, Wily. <laughs> Wily Tower 2 theme from the game Mega Man The Wily Wars on the Sega Genesis, composed by Kinio Yamashita. So, Mega Man The Wily Wars was a game that was originally only released in Japan. However, due to the magic and wonder of the Sega Channel, we were able to play it in the States because, thanks to having the Sega Channel, they didn't have to deal with a lot of localizing issues and, you know, store magnets, cartridge and packaging and manufacturing and shipping of just, hey, we did some, some light translation work and slapped it on broadband. Enjoy. Um, and the thing about it that makes this particularly cool is Mega Man The Wally Wars was essentially, they gave it like a little slapstick uh, narrative to go over it. Like something to do with like, Mega, like Dr. Wily and Mega Man Time Travel or some crap. But ultimately it was Mega Man's 1 through 3 given the Genesis treatment, so updated graphics, 
updated music, and I actually preferred some of the Genesis renditions over the NES ones, most notably some like Heatman. Heatman was much better. Um, it so sounds, sounds you really played, good on, on this hardware. I really like it. It's fantastic. Now, here's where it gets weird. So, I played the game. They had a save file on the game. Now, you could go in, play the game, you know, and every time you beat a level, whereas you used to, you used to get like a password image, it was like, do you want to save your game? And you go, sure, save the game, and move on. Now, there's a particular factoid tidbit that Rob had in regards to the Sega channel that he found online. This would be a good time for you to say what that is. Now, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't know this, or at least it didn't occur to you, but like games that were downloaded were only saved to flash memory. They were not saved to anything long term. So when you turned the console off, it was wiped. Now this is and this is why I wanted you to say that, because and this goes for a couple other games that are on my roster of tracks too. I swear I distinctly remember saving games. Mm. Like I've saved games, it's just they didn't maybe there was like some something about the save or something that where maybe some very some types of saves worked or something i don't know i can't explain they it were, they weren't passing and i right? went looking to see if anybody else online had a similar experience to me but i didn't do a ton of like hardcore digging but i'm gonna keep going because there's gotta be something yeah but um, the reason I'm- why i'm saying this is because in the case of Mega Man: the wily wars some added content that they provided to this game was that if you beat all three Mega Man games, one, two, and three, on a save file, you unlock a sort of like mini Mega Man game where Dr. Wily sends three like Mega Mega Man killer robots after you. I don't remember their names. Separate one name was like Buster Rod G, and he was meant to represent like kind of like Son Buster, Goku, the Buster, monkey. Buster Rhymes. Buster, Buster Rhymes. Buster Rod. Buster Rod. Uh, so. There was like Son Goku. Yeah. There was one based off of a Kappa turtle. Oh, cool. And there was one based off of like a giant ox. And they all had their own levels. You didn't get weapons when you beat them, but you had a level and a boss fight. Mm. And then after them, you had a traditional Wily Tower stage, like a castle. But the cool thing about this, and something that this is probably the closest they've ever come to like the kind of Mega Man game I wish they would have produced before they just stopped making consistent Mega Man games is. When you do this segment of the game, when you go to do a stage, you go to a screen where you can choose what weapons and accessories you want to take into the level. So you can choose eight weapons and three accessories, and they can come from any of the three Mega Man games on the cart. That's cool. So you can have the Gemini laser with the metal blade, with the atomic fire, (laughs) and uh, the ice slasher if you wanted to. And the Mega Man Um, 3, all in Mega Man 3. Oh, Mega Man! There's Metal Blade, <laughs> Metal Blade, and the ice, sh- and air shooter That's for cool. sure. Yeah. Um, but the fact that you can mix and match your weapons across the across your build and then go into a level to me that was expect exceptionally awesome. Mm-hmm. One downside, though, where I feel like they kind of dropped the ball, maybe this was intentional, is that all the stages used assets from one game. So, for example, Wily Tower One only used assets from Mega Man One. Wily Tower 2 only use assets for Mega Man 2 and Wily Tower 3 what did it do? Uh, you know what it, you know what it so, um, so even though you can, you can mix, mix and match the weapons from the different games the the stage was still just from that game like they mixed and matched like elements from that game like you'd have the top spins on a level with the Search Man Snakes for example oh okay oh no, sorry Search Man the Snake Man Snakes mm-hmm. but 
you won't say have a Snake Man snake and then two screens over have the hot dog from Woodman stage in Mega Man 2. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. But uh, if it did, that would have been legit. I would have loved it. Yeah. But it probably said, can only load so much into memory at one time. So the game was probably created to be like, okay, on this this block of memory is going to be all of the assets from Mega Man 1. And then it, it couldn't like load all of 1 and 2 at the same time. It's just kind of a it's kind of a shame though because I tried to unlock these because I've beaten Mega Man 1, 2, and 3 on the cart, but never unlocked Wily Tower and these Mega Man killer stages. So never did. This is something that's that's really interesting. So I'm, I'm just realizing this now. So when we will on, when we do this show every week, every once in a while we'll get into like a classic game or something that you played before that you want to go back and you want to revisit it and you want to play it again and, and see if you remember how to do it or if it's um, as fun as you remember. You can't do that, right? Like, some of these you can, but some of the stuff was Sega Channel, like, exclusive content. Well, no, not, not particularly exclusive. Like, say, for example, Mega Man The Wily Wars. It was exclusive at the time, uh, but now we live in an age of emulation. Oh, but it was on Mega Drive. It dumps. It, it didn't live in the, in, the, in, the, in the world. Yeah, like, it actually did release in Japan. It just never came to the States. Yeah. But now... I could just go and find the ROM for Mega Man The Wily Wars and play the game. But back then, you could only play it on the Sega channel. Oh, so this is a good segue then. So before we get into our next music, I want to talk about some of the what the exclusive games that were released on the US Sega channel were. What were some of the exclusive games in Japan that were released um, that didn't come out anywhere else um, other than Japan. And then there were some also some games um, that had... That are lost, that no one ever, no one ever got the ROMs of, um, that have um, exclusive content to the Sega Channel. All right, so these are the the Mega Drive games that came out exclusively on the Sega Channel in North America. Was uh, Alien Soldier, uh, Mega Man: The Wily Wars. <laughs> and some of these have like some of like some of these have soundtracks that are like known today. People love like they're amazing soundtracks. Uh, Pulse Man. Golden, oh, yes. Axe, Golden Axe 3, incredible. Uh, Donald Duck and Maui Mallard. Uh, Mr. Nuts, um, which was on like, uh, it came out on like Super Nintendo and a bunch of other ones. Um, International Rugby, Body Count, uh, Bloodshot or Battle Frenzy, which was actually on the Mega CD and didn't have any music on the uh, Mega Drive. Hurricanes, which was about a, uh, a some European cartoon show about soccer players. Um, Power Drive, Nightmare Circus, Sonic Eraser, uh, Garfield: The Lost Levels, which um, which which was the game Garfield, Garfield something or other, uh, but it was additional levels made just for Sega Channel. Uh, the Chess Master, World Series Baseball '96, Gotron, Klondike, and then the Flintstones: colon, The Movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love Flintstones: colon, The Movie. <laughs> It's my so, favorite game. So that, the that's, that, that's pretty cool. Um, and then um, in Japan, there was a game called Dino Brothers uh, 2 um, that had exclusive content um, for the Sega Channel. And then there was a game called Game no Kansume Otokiyoko, which was uh, translates to Can of Games Economy Version, um, which was the collection of the 12 uh, games that were released on the Sega MegaNet, which was the modem in Japan. And so yeah. that was only on the Japanese Sega Channel. Basically, another, just another way for them to play it on the new 
version of what basically was Mega Man. Yeah, Sega was all about like, let's just make more hardware and stick it in the old hardware, you know? <laughs> <laughs> get on board. Basically just get with the stick went the the console time. Yeah, that's what they were that's what everyone's doing. They're, like all the hardware was in the cartridges, it wasn't in the wasn't in the consoles themselves. All right, so we're going to listen to some more music from the uh, Sega Channel menu system. We're going to listen to first uh, the main theme and the music for Test Drives. And then we're going to hear music from Fantasyland. Um, Fantasyland is my favorite land. <laughs> You'd love to live in Fantasyland. Um, All the time. And as usual, both of these, uh, these pieces were composed by um, John Baker. Um, so yeah, that was the main theme and uh, the theme for the, the test drives menu, which I guess was like the beta games that you could play, and the theme to the Fantasyland menu from the Sega Channel, composed by John Baker. The big head. Yeah, they were good. I'll admit though, they ain't touching. They ain't touching the first one though. Uh, the Baker's uh, Funk. Baker's Funk. Yeah, the Funk Baker's is good. Funk runs the whole show. I know the main theme is good though. I mean, it is really toe jamming early. Which is nice. Toe jamming early. <laughs> Better than toe jamming late. Uh, but yeah, that that that's I, I do like that sound. It's, they got some kind of like they do some kind of shuffle like rhythm with the uh, with the percussion and that bass gets all like it's a it's not it's a farty bass. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's it's. I don't know. I never thought of it as farty bass. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it sounds like a sounds like a uh, trombone that had too many beans. Yeah. Too many. <laughs> Well, I do enjoy that these are all tracks that are were very simple, very minimal, mm-hmm. but they're just enough to make you kind of feel like you want to tap your toe, tap your foot while you're scrolling through to find what your next tra- your next gameplay is going to yeah. be, especially for those scenarios where you just can't quite decide. <laughs> so like, how many? You just kind of mull it on a window. So I listed the games that were only the only the uh, the, the the North American exclusives, um, but there were a lot of titles that were released. On the Sega Channel, but they weren't released all at once, right? There was it was fifty games a month. Fifty games a month, and they would change, right? Yes, not particularly change, change. Like you weren't going to get fifty entirely different games each month. It would be fifty games, but then of the fifty, they'd shuffle them around. So, like you might get a month where you'll see all the Sonic games, but then this month you might not see Sonic Two hmm. in favor of something else. You know? But for the most part, you got fifty games. 
and you just kind of hope for some variations each month because, quite frankly, that was one of the most exciting things. It, be, it was similar to getting a Nintendo Power or a Game Pro in the mail. Mm-hmm. It was cool to say, oh, the new, it's, it's October 1st. What new games are on Sega Channel? And you go boot it up to look around and see if anything popped up, any new promos are yeah. running. And, like, and, and that- it was even better because there was nothing to prime you for them. There was nothing that said, coming next month or coming next week. It was literally... You just anticipated it. But the downside, of course, was if nothing happened, it was a huge letdown. You're like, oh, it's coming up with the new game. It's like, nothing happened. Just play yeah, the same like, crap. Not just the games would change, but the music would change. The menus would look different. Um, I think they were like, weren't there different like events like around like the 4th of July and stuff like that? It was occasionally an event. Like it would be akin to like a small contest. Like if you play this game and like submit a score or something like that. But nothing, nothing too extreme. Nothing too extreme. But still, it was just enough yeah. to make you feel happy when something happened, when something was going to occur. Or most notably, like for example, um, something like Comic Zone, which was the first place I ever played Comic Zone. Yeah. They would say, "Hey, here's this game. It's coming out eventually, soon." You can play it now, though, because again, this was before the internet. This was before, well, before you know, widespread internet. This was before you were just getting demos outside of like mail-in order junk or whatever. This was just some flash saying, "Here's a surprise demo. You can try it right now for a game that will be out later, not a game that's out now that we're trying to entice you to buy. This is a game you can get months from now, but this is how it looks right now. And it was Comic Zone, which for the time looked really awesome, and yeah. the music was really good i think it still and, looks great like oh thanks yeah. for beat me to the punch it does still it still looks <laughs> amazing i can't believe that you would diss our comic zone like that hey hey you don't put our, words in my mouth our comic zone. <laughs> it does still look good it looks and, awesome and the word i still like to make jokes about the guy the voice like this from the little sewer guy with the hooks he goes happy days happy days <laughs> Like you say, what? Is yeah, happy days. Weird stuff in that game, but the music was so interesting, so different too. You know, they tried to make like a really grungy hard rock soundtrack to, with using or, the Genesis hardware. You know, and I, th- I think it was successful for the most part. Oh, it was yeah. just it was a really hard game too, which is funny because it was also a very short game that most people never saw the end of. Yes, yes, yes. It was six pages. <laughs> Oh, that's right. So yeah, a stage was essentially working from the top of the comic book page to the bottom of the comic book page. And you would go from panel to panel, beating the snot out of people. Usually, like, weird robots and monsters that were originally created by the guy who's teleported into the comic. But now they're being run by the evil villain who beams him into the comic while he jumps out. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting little narrative. But graphically, it was a beautiful game. And the effects they had, like, when you defeated an enemy, he burst into, like, confetti. And you could, like, rip panels off the book and throw a paper airplane, <laughs> which was kind of cool. Oh, that's cool. Like, there was a lot of little interesting, sweet I, touches I, to it that, to I, this day, I kind of wish yeah. they would develop on more. I gotta play this game again, because I don't remember any of that. And I, I don't remember getting that far in it to begin with. I beat it. It's just... It's not easy. And the last section is just outright bullcrap, because <laughs> it's timed. So, oh. like, the last boss is time. Well, that's, that's annoying. I mean... <laughs> well... Like, I mean, you're not time, time as in, like, the game stops if you don't win, but, uh, well, it's not a sport. The game's ancient. Uh, the last fight, the woman that's, like, kind of like your voice in the sky is kidnapped by the villain, 
and she's placing, she's locking like a water tank of water, mm-hmm. and it's filling up with water. Oh, and you okay. have to basically beat the boss and release her before she drowns. Before and you're drowns. watching the tank fill with her in it the whole time you're fighting. So it adds that level of pressure. Like she's about to die. Hurry up. <laughs> So it was it's stressful and it's bad enough because it's hard just to get to that fight And then you're like watching your friend drown And if you lose like the main hero just becomes really depressed I can't remember what he does, but I know he's not happy at all to the point where I think he almost is like being like a bad ending Like he dies or something, but the good ending of course is they he saves her they both leave the comic book and live live happily ever after This would be a fun one to play on stream just just to revisit it again because it yeah, it'll be fun and if you're playing it doubly fun i'm telling you <laughs> it's not easy you will get frustrated yeah. by the second stage i tried playing crash bandicoot again and i never really played the original like that wasn't like around i wasn't playing it originally uh, i'm not an old school crash bandicoot player but i did not have any patience i i, I lost my patience so fast like on the first Shout out to Electric Boogaloo for that one, by the way. First few oh. stages of that game, I lost it. I lost my mind. Electric Boogaloo can vouch for me on that one. He he stuck he stuck with me like a champ on that. Play through the entire third game. First time ever playing it. I played the entire game on our charity stream, and he hung out in the chat because he loves Crash Bandicoot games, and he cheered me on doing all the motorcycle stages, which can kiss my butt. And all of the jet ski stages, which can kiss my butt. They're both <laughs> awful stages. I hate them. <laughs> but you had to you know, get all the crates and get the bonus points. And I just died and died and died and died. And he just hung us. Like, you can do it. Just keep going. You almost had it that time. And it was probably the closest I ever came to seeing. This is what people probably get out of Twitch. It's like the fact that someone was willing to hang out with me and watch me die so much oh, yeah, because yeah. they were hoping I'd succeed. Like, that's an awesome feeling. Yeah. And then when I actually did beat it, we kind of just celebrated. Like, yay! It's done! And now I can move on to a stage that should not be nearly this difficult. <laughs> God, those vehicle stages are horrible. But Crash Bandicoot's a... It's interesting how those, I guess, almost like jumping. Maybe we shouldn't go on that because I think you're going to Crash Bandicoot tangent. Oh, no, we can do that. We'll have, we, we should have a Crash Bandicoot episode because there's a lot of music in that game. Um, every, every, every track will be like, this is the level where you're running from the thing. This, this is the level, level where you're running towards level the where thing. I gave up. And I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of games. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of like games. There's a lot of like offshoot like games too there's like the, the, the team racing and there's a bunch of like actually there's a topic on you like you just mentioned it basically with the crash but major mascot series yeah. so like one episode would be solely about mario yeah one episode would be solely about sonic one episode would be solely about crash because yeah. back in the day they were the pivot they were the three for those three companies was sonic mario and crash though so he wasn't officially the mascot bubsy people pretty much considered him the mascot and rise star mm-hmm. Rystar was yeah. not the mascot. He's my mascot. He's my friend. <laughs> I love Rystar. I, I could have picked from that game, because that's actually a game I played for the first time on Sega Channel. Oh, was it? No kidding. Mm-hmm. Alright, so what's what's your next pick, then? So, I thought... I was pretty, oh, sorry, this isn't mine. Okay, so my next pick will yeah. also be... <laughs> We're still talking well, a lot. I'll go with this one being a game that I... It's become one of my all-time favorites, which is funny, because it's also one of the most loathed games by many of my friends. And I would not have played it or even came to appreciate the style of gameplay because I originally despised it Hmm. if it weren't for Sega Channel. So, without further ado, this is the game Landstalker, and the track is titled Labyrinth and is composed by Motaki Takenoichi. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Labyrinth from the game Landstalker for the Sega Genesis, composed by Motaki Takinochi. So, Landstalker was a game developed by Climax, and I swear there was like some overlap with Climax and Camelot, which is probably where this sound similarity comes from. When you mentioned it, it sounds a lot like Shining Force. Yeah. It's probably even the same composer, because Motoi Sakuraba did a lot of Camelot stuff. But Motaki Takinochi probably did some too. Like, if you look it up, he probably did Shining Force. Mm. Um, but Landstalker is a game that, for all intents and purposes, at that time, there was no reason I should have liked it. None. It was one of those isometric 3D games, which I couldn't stand at the time. Like, games like Solstice and... Yeah. Not saying that Solstice is a bad game, it was just that oh, hard perspective. To play. Hard to play. I couldn't do the perspective. I hated that you had to press up and right to go in one direction. Like, you couldn't just push right to go right. And it also made a lot of the visual elements challenging to handle, like for jumps and things that were obscure, obstructed because the block was in the way. Landstalker was all those things and more. And yet, from the moment I booted it up, and I only booted it up because it was a game in the RPG category, so of course I had to try it. Um, I started out thinking this was stupid. I was like, I don't like this graphical style, but I'll keep trying and see what I, if I get into it. I mean, I'm already playing it, and cough, I already paid for it. Subscription fee! Uh, so I played a little bit more of it, and I became enchanted with it. It was... It was an addictive game. The idea being that you're running around this like you're a treasure hunter on an island mm -hmm. looking for treasure. Like there was no overarching narrative about world destruction. Am I, am I or wrong? Saving anything. Am I wrong? But I think this is one of the first like rogue. One, not one of the first, but it was the first like console roguelike game. Oh no, no roguelike. Though I I understand if you're perceiving it as potentially being one because it had that tile-by-tile tile structure look, like, because it was 3D element, 3D yeah, elements, so you had, like, dungeon, squares stacked up. like, auto-generated, though? Like, were they, were they... No, no. Oh, they it, was all, oh, okay. it was all designed. Oh. These were all deliberate puzzles and deliberate dungeons and deliberate, like, secrets. And oh. it was beautiful. Real quick, real quick. This is deliberate, right here. This breakdown. Dude, <laughs> you're addicted to this. Oh. <laughs> It's good that you like that track, too, because this track plays in two places. Ah, so good. At the good. very beginning of the game, when you pretty much trigger your... You go on, it's like a cinema that plays where you're like kind of in a dungeon, and he triggers a trap, and he gets chased by a boulder, like Indiana Jones-style or whatever. And it also plays in the very last dungeon of the game. And the very last dungeon of the game took me multiple hours to complete. Because the puzzles in this game are brutal. Brutal, 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 brutal. So... It is worth it to you to just kind of enjoy this track and just kind of dig into it and enjoy yourself. It's a there's a lot of parts. But it's a to quality it. game. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot going on in this music. Like it's really like the rhythm is weird and there's all these different elements coming in and coming out. And then that that funky bass that just goes blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> just it's, I mean, like after oh, it's, awesome. it's so good. It's so good. All the music in this game is a, is just spectacular. That's good. And now, was this also a um, like a Mega Drive only game that was exclusive on the Sega Channel? Oh no, this came to the states as well. But when I would see it in the store, it didn't look appealing to me. When I saw it at like if I saw it on the shelf, it didn't look appealing to me. I looked at the back of the box, it didn't look appealing to me. Mm. There was nothing about this game that 
enticed me to play it. If I didn't play it on a Sega channel, I would have never come to enjoy this game, and it would not have become a running joke at multiple panels where I'm like, I love Landstalker, and my friend goes, get out! <laughs> um, because most of my right. friends hate Landstalker because of how difficult it is to control the character because of the isometric element and everything. But I adored it, and I ended up liking other games like it because of Landstalker. It introduced me to an entire style of gameplay that I would have ignored if I didn't play it here. Uh, ah, here it is. Uh, it was episode 21-8, where we had uh, composer and developers Blake Edwards and AJ Wash talking about influential classics. And the, the cover of, the sh- of, the, of our episode was Landstalker. But I picked this track? No, no, just the cover. Oh, whew, don't scare and, me like that. And, but I remember the cover was like really lame looking. But like, yeah, it was it was not exciting at all. It, I will admit it had a Don Bluth movie kind of look to it. But I wasn't a big fan of Don Bluth art style. So there you go. Uh, so it, but nothing about it was enticing in that regard. But the gameplay was awesome. The exploration was awesome. Going into an actual crypt. It's like, like you think about how I love La Mulana so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here you go. Influence comes from something like this. That's interesting. Because even though the puzzles weren't nearly as cryptic as they are in La Mulana, at the time, these were some of the toughest puzzles I'd ever encountered in a game. So it was really cool to play through it. Yeah, and, and then like it formed your like tastes in like RPGs and adventure games too. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, all right, so we're gonna listen to some music from. Um, a Japanese-only Mega Drive game that was a, excuse me, that was an exclusive on the Sega Channel. So this is called Dyna Brothers 2 Sega Channel Special um, on the uh, Japanese Sega Channel for the Mega Drive. And this track is called Slow Movement. Oh my god, real quick, I gotta state this before we go on break. No, I just made a comment about Landstalker. Yeah. <laughs> my friend hated it. I kid you not, I opened my phone to look up Dyna Brothers. And the friend that usually gives me crap about it actually messages me, and he hasn't messaged me in like two months. <laughs> he's still, he's still like, you still playing Landstalker? Because that game. <laughs> it's like he heard it. It's like, wait a minute, someone's talking. He's talking about Landstalker, isn't he? Uh, that's hilarious. All right, so this is uh, from Dino Brothers Two, the Sega Channel Special, Japanese only. The track is called Slow Movement, and it's composed by Masami Yitsuse. Listening to the slow movement from Dino Brothers 2 for the Sega Mega Drive, composed by Masumi Yetsuse. 
Um, and this had a special collection called the Dino Brothers 2 Sega Channel Special on the Japanese Sega Channel. And yeah, I picked this track because I just, I think it's cool that opening where it goes do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's so, it's so very, very, very 80s to me. Um, but no, I, 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 I gotta be honest, I watched some playthrough of Dino Brothers and I have no clue what's going on. I, I was about to ask you what Dino Brothers was. I am not <laughs> you can't sure. Even explain it. Um, it's a real-time strategy game. I'm reading this right now. All right, I got that. It's a real-time strategy game. There's dinosaurs and there's eggs, but it doesn't make any sense to me how it, how it's played. But um, it was popular enough that it got a uh, sequel. I mean, um, if it's RTS, it's probably some level of. Having to take over a base and your units were based off of you hatching dinosaur eggs yeah. that became your units. But um, the the second one had all these different modes of play that you could do. There was a tutorial mode, a story mode, um, an original mode, which it says that it was uh, it didn't have any cutscenes or specific goals. It was just it was just to win um, without any story, like in the first game. And then there was a two player battle mode. Which was like an RPG battle, but like a Street Fighter style. But like you would pick your moves, like like an RPG game. Um, and I think that's what I watched on YouTube. And I was like, "What is happening?" Like, true. Like the like yeah, I saw a menu come up, and the little dinosaurs look at the screen. They look at the like, at the player, and they look back at each other, and then they punch each other in the face, and then they look back at you again. Right? <laughs> <laughs> do I punch them or do I punch them in a different way? Yeah, I'm like, this is kind of sad because these are cute little dinosaur kids. I mean, uh, before there was Pokemon, there was this guy. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Make uh, your dinosaurs beat each other up. But it is uh, the artwork is super, super cute. Um, and the music on this game is really neat. So um, you can find it all on YouTube. Um, or I think it's all on uh, Project... It might be Rommable. Yeah, it's Rommable too. It's on Project 2612, which is a great online collection of uh, Genesis and Mega Drive music. Um, and the whole soundtrack is really neat. It's really well put together. Um so yeah, check that out. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I may have to because honestly, I've never heard of Diner Brothers until today. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess definitely. There's, there's a lot of of Japanese and, and European exclusive games that we never got out here. Um, and again, this one never came out on Sega Channel in the, in the states either. So all this makes me wonder: what would it have been like if there was a, a Nintendo Channel back then? Huh. Like, because. I know it would have been good, don't get me wrong, because, again, free games are free games, and also Nintendo SNES has some great titles on it, but how would that have worked? Like, it makes me wonder what games would have been on there that would have been, like, the hotspot titles, like Earth Defense Force and, like, the Final Fantasy roster. And then again, maybe not Final Fantasy, because that would have implied that Square would have allowed them to put those on there. So uh, there was... Oh, interesting. So there was a few add-ons for the Nintendo, right? Um, mm-hmm. So in Japan, there was the Famicom Disk System, which you could essentially um, buy games cheaper by by you would buy them and then copy them onto the disc. So rather than buying a cartridge or the packaging and all that stuff, it was on the disc system on the Famicom. So uh, like you're basically buying the data. You're buying kind of like data. how DL downloading games is now. Yeah, it was, it was very yeah, but of course also a lot of the proliferation of you know uh, pirated titles. Uh, but that, there was also uh, an add-on called the Teleplay Modem. Which was unreleased though in the states, um, which was supposed to allow, I think, just online play. And then there was the X Band. Remember the X Band? I do remember the X Band. That was basically the first 
console online competition element or option yeah. that so, we had. So that's one thing to mention about the Sega channel and the way that it pioneered um, data going over cable lines was that it was only one direction. Um, you could download information, but you couldn't upload information either. So unless unless you have a different experience from what I've read, like if I got a high score in a game, I couldn't just upload it to their servers. They didn't have anything like that. It was all one direction. I don't recall anything like yeah. that. Like There definitely wasn't any form of me uploading a score or anything along those lines. Yeah, yeah. So. On- online play. Like back then when I was like super into Street Fighter and all those games, the idea of being able to play like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat with my friend in another neighborhood online would have been like the greatest thing on earth. Um, and now it's like these days, you know, you can you can play Fortnite on your phone with about fifty strangers. <laughs> That's why I always like to say there's there even though things are better technologically in the present, there was something particularly magical about the past when things were was more limited. Mm-hmm. So the few scraps we got felt amazing to utilize and though some of them might go you need to go to the store to rent games where you can just like download them in bulk online whenever you want or you had to pay a subscription fee to get 50 games on your genesis i have like a hundred on my steam account and i got them over the course of like a month for a dollar you know from humble bundle or something but the thing about it is i cherish those 50 games on the sega channel they felt special really special if i got a hundred games on a humble bundle like, 90 of them are just junk to me. I only really like, care about 10. On the Sega channel, how consistent was it? Like, I remember, like, old internet over modem lines. Like, it was, it was like, on a... Sh- it felt like it was being held together with duct tape. Like, things weren't always going to download correctly. Things were slow. Like, was, was Sega channel that way, too? It was pretty much... It was basically about as bad as, as your cable internet would be now. If it worked, it worked. If there was a weird moment where it was a down service, you'd boot up the system and you'd get like an error message because cable was acting funny. You'd uh-huh. contact Comcast and say, hey, cable's down. <laughs> and they resubmit, they reset the signal or whatever and if then you wanted try to play it now. Like Landstalker though, like how long would it take after you hit the button to start playing? Not very long. It was a fairly short process because it was, it was a fairly fast transfer. That's cool. It just zipped it right over to you. Though, it goes back to like Landstalker and also what my eventual bonus round tracks are going to be. Mm-hmm. The reason why these things are bugging me as far as they're saying, like, you know, you couldn't you couldn't save your yeah, game. It yeah. wasn't just Mega Man The Wily Wars. That one I could have brushed off and said, eh, maybe my memory is loose. I played through all of Mega Man 1 one day and all of Mega Man 2 another day. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Landstalker and Shining Force 2. Yeah, spoiler. Um, there is no way... I played any of those in one sitting, and I didn't own Landstalker. None of my friends had Landstalker. I could have only played that on Sega Channel. I didn't rent the game either. Yeah, I, everywhere, like, everywhere I looked, everywhere I looked said that that games without passwords could not be saved. I did come across a guy who commented. He wrote an article about how he learned about Shining Force um, Two on Sega Channel as yeah. well, and he mentioned he talked about how much he loved it and when he got out of it. And nowhere in his article did he mention, I couldn't save it, though, so I had to play the entire thing in one sit. So, well, I wonder. Maybe I want to look like more to this. Maybe before, there was like, like we talked about before, where like you played a whole bunch of it originally and got really good at it. And so when he went back to play it like the next day, like he just blew through it like in a minute. <laughs> and he could like... Yeah, if I could have done that with Shining Force 2, that would have been amazing. Yeah, that <laughs> but not likely. That game is very slow. All right, let's get on to your last track. 
Okay, this game is also one. I picked a track from it once on the show, I'm sure. Yeah. But this is another game that I learned about specifically because of Sega Channel, because it was the only way we could play it back then. And I loved it. It's also kind of funny because this was basically one of Game Freak's first video games before they became well-known for Pokemon. No, it uh, is. Yeah, I think the composer's the same, right? Yeah. It is. Same guy. What is that game? Well, it's called Pulse Man, and the track is titled Cycle Partition, and it's composed by Junichi Masuda. listening to Cycle Partition from the game Pulse Man on the Mega Drive, composed by Junichi Masuda of Game Freak and known by name on the Masuda method from Pokemon. You don't know what that is? It's okay. That means you're not as obsessed with Pokemon as I am. It's totally cool. Um, Pokemon... Eh, let me jump that line of train of thought. Pulse Man <laughs> is a game was it's interesting the game was primarily a character about a character who could traverse the real world and also could jump online through computer terminals and uplink terminals Mm -hmm. and the way that he fought and attacked opponents was by generating static electricity by running across the ground so you could be in a battle sequence and the idea would be you'd run back and forth very quickly just like generate stag and get a pulse and then you just launch the pulse beam Mm -hmm. and hence the name pulse man it was a surprisingly cool game. The graphic style was awesome. The music was very different for the time, I felt. But I loved all of it. I liked how every... Well, I didn't know this back then, but I oh. like how every track is named in a way that is meant to call up like computer-like jargon or language, like Kill Switch <laughs> and Cycle Partitions and Uplink. Oh, can you hang on a minute? Just, My cat's trying to get in here. <laughs> Well, you should let the cat in. Is it Archie? I hope it's Archie. Oh, yeah. Was it Archie? Yeah, the Rhythm and Pixels cat. Archie's the man. He's a very in-your-face, I-do-what-I-want cat. (laughs) It was... 
It's 10 o'clock. He's like, I want to get in his office. I have a scratching post in here that he likes to get into. But yeah, um, so Pulseman is kind of like the mascot for the Sega channel then, right? He's like a superhero that goes through the internet. Actually, I guess that would he should be considered kind of an unofficial mascot because that's yeah. very fitting and appropriate. Hmm. I like that. The game looks really cool. Like I, I, I've read more about this game than I've actually seen or played because a lot of people say that it was um, like ahead of its time or it's like one of the most advanced looking and advanced playing games hmm. on the on the Genesis. That's an interesting concept. It makes me want to go back and check it too. I do remember there were a few elements, like certain stages, like I recall. A lot of like interesting scrolling environments where like the background would kind of move while you were moving forward, mm. which sounds kind of like lame and moot now. But back then, it was I would say it was a fairly nice visual effect that wasn't common. Yeah, those kinds of like uh, uh, visual like changes, multiple and layers in the background. Yeah, you can only have so many. I've recently um, for our our YouTube station, um, our on uh, youtube.com slash rhythm and pixels that our radio station i'm sorry the cat is now distracting me <laughs> well because he's adorable he is so cute um i what i did was i went to um a place where they had ripped uh sonic the hedgehog to backgrounds and you can and it wasn't just like the background it was all of the different layers that would scroll independently of each other in, in a parallax fashion and then I took those different layers and I made them different layers in OBS so that I could actually make them scroll individually in the station. So it was so it's not actually a video file moving; it's actually individual just images just moving. Wait, on the so screen. all the background images that are on the radio station were edited through OBS? Yes. So I just I what I did was I took the the actual layers, I scaled them up, and then I made that that individual layer just another layer in OBS and I just scrolled it I should it. be bugging you about this thing because that's took what I'm, a long work, that's time. what I'm working with now is OBS now what's interesting uh, was that in uh, Sonic 2 especially in, in like um, uh, a hilltop stage and stuff like that the clouds and, and all those things had like 20 different uh, layers all scrolling hmm. back and forth it was really cool and I had to pick and choose like okay I'll pick 5 or 6 at a time but if you play the game like there's a lot moving on the screen um, and when you run, the whole thing whizzes by so fast. It just adds to the ambience. So I think the, the, the Genesis hardware was just really capable of just doing a lot of blast processing. I'm going to call it that. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> that was the, one of the biggest jokes of the 16-bit oh, era. They How are all... we compete with another console? I'd say, what do we have that they don't? A made-up term. <laughs> Well, I, I would, did nothing. Now the, the Nintendo, their their thing was the Virtua effects, but that was a legitimate like 3D chip that they stuck inside their cartridges because they wanted their console to be, you know, they wanted to, to extend the was life. Was it Mode Seven? Like no, their big things were Mode Seven, Mode 7. and whatever they were doing with Star Fox with the polygons. Yeah, that was the Virtua effects chip. So they wanted to extend the life of the system and do 3D polygons and effects on their system but the chips on the hardware couldn't couldn't handle it so they figured out a way to manufacture these chips cheaply so they could stick them inside the cartridges okay so that's why like all at once a bunch of games came out like um star fox stunt race effects and a couple others and then genesis follows suit eventually with their hundred dollar virtual racing oh my god virtual i like virtual racing in the arcade was awesome i love that game um at home not so much. 
It was okay. It was just it needed a lot more content. A lot more content. Yeah, it, really it was like there was like two tracks and three cars. Yeah, something about like those kinds of racing games in the arcade where it had so much more replayability. You know, it's like oh, it was fun. You know, I'm with my friends. I'm having a coke. Yeah. But there were no prop cycle. <laughs> no, not a prop cycle. Um, for now, this ain't no prop cycle. This is the bonus round. This ain't no bonus round. Wait, wait, yes, it is. Bonus round, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a talking head song. You may find yourself in the middle of a bonus round. <laughs> and you may ask yourself, <laughs> what songs will be played there? All right, so the bonus rounds where we play uh, covers and remixes and arrangements on our theme. And Pranel, I have got a doozy for you. Okay, so the Comic Zone had a beta version that came out on the Sega channel. And all of the music on that beta version was also beta music. It was all music in development still. Wait, so is this is music that's not in the final game? Yes. Also, <laughs> on top of that, let me see if I can find my notes again. Um, okay, also on top of that, the um, this music, which was in Comic Zone, the beta version was used in October and July as a theme um, and for one of the menus. And um, so that was composed by Howard Drossen um, and uh, uh, not uh, John Baker. Um, and then and not John Baker. But then composed Howard Drossen again arranged it for um, guitar and band and everything else on an album that he released called Virtual Sonic. So we're going to. Okay, I remember Virtual Sonic. That was an album where I think it was originally introduced to us by Rebecca Gruber. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, yeah, that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. That's quite a while ago. All right, so this is going to be. It's called the Boss Opera, which is the theme of October and July in the in the 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 Sega Channel menu system, and it's also from the beta version of Comic Zone, composed by Howard Drossen and arranged by Howard Drossen. So there's there's a lot going on here, but it's there's a lot of Drossen. But it's cool that like he kept this music and 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 still rearranged it again later on. So it must have meant something to him to want to do that. So here we go. This is called The Boss Opera.
All right, we're back. That was called the Boss Opera, which is the October and July theme in the Sega Channel menu system. And it's also from the beta version of Comic Zone and is arranged and composed by Howard Drossen for the album Virtual Sonic. Um, and I was going to say this is also the only track in the Sega Channel like like system that that we could find anyway that was not composed by John Baker. This is Howard Drossen. I think it was because cut the Comic Zone release they were really pushing it. You know, it was a big it was a big deal. And that guy, he know he he can work a guitar or something fierce. Yeah. So um, the pitch bends and. In, in the break before we, we we came back, I played a little bit of the original the original uh, Mega Drive version <laughs> of the music, and it's it's really cool. But well, so just but you could just slap it in there here with like yeah. it sounds a little like this. Yeah, so here you go. So we're gonna listen to um, a little bit of uh, the Boss Opera, the Genesis version, so you can get a little bit of a uh, right here. Ooh. So it's really cool to hear like realize like these, these instruments were meant to be guitars, like how they sound as real guitars. It's still a banger, too. Now, this sounds more like I said, because this sounds more like a Comic Zone track, too, based on what I'm used to Comic Zone sounding like. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I kind of like the keyboard a little bit more than the uh, the piano section there, but um, that's Boss Opera. Do you remember a menu called Boss Opera? I do not. In fact, think about it, it's like none of the tracks in Comic Zone had names. Like there was a sound test, but it was just pick the sound, the numeric oh. value for the track on the sound test. No, I meant in the um, in the Sega channel. Oh, nah, nothing like that. Yeah, I wonder why it was called that. Maybe it was a hidden thing, or maybe it was just added on later. Um, okay, so we're on to your um, bonus round track. So what is my bonus round track? What well, is your bonus round track? I wanted to bring up Shining Force 2, but I've been beating the living tar out of Shining Force 2 throughout the history of our show. Or maybe I didn't. I don't know. But I still was concerned about picking a track from this game. Thankfully, I came across a very, very slick cover of one of the prominent tracks from the game itself. That is the town theme from the game. It is called Welcome to Our Town. And it is covered via saxophone... By a person I've never heard of until now, but I'm going to listen to more of their stuff after this. Mm -hmm. Called Amigoiga Sax. Yeah, I've never heard of that one either, but this is a good song. I do like this song a lot. So, is this only saxophone? Any other instruments? Oh, there's some. There's other sounds too, okay. but I think he overlays them. But he's playing the saxophone. Cool.
I love that track. I love that song, man. Lively, lively town is what I know as what I know it as. But um, it honestly may be like I don't. And honestly, maybe he referred to it as "Welcome to Our Town." That's like the name he gave it. Mm -hmm. But like, I honestly don't know many of the names for the OSC. I just know that track that plays when you're on the mountains battling, and here's that track that plays when you're punching Zeon in the face. but this this was a peach. I love. I'm a may not come may come as a surprise to a lot of people, but I'm a sucker for wind instruments. I love them. I love them. Love them. Love them. Love them. Love them. So if I, the more I come across of those, the more intrigued I am to hearing them get played in accompaniment to VGM. So hmm. there you go. I, I liked it a lot. I, I love I love the sound of it. I love that he kept the speed of it too. Like that can't be easy because that's a fast song. Um, I would have slowed that down because I'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, we don't get the we don't get the director's cut where he passes out during like, <laughs> mid song. <laughs> I was half expecting like some kind of solo, but I'm like, no, it just kept rolling. And also, the it started using the it sounded like the original um, like uh, Genesis sound it was kind of like in the middle there too, which was really neat. I like he had a little bit of a xylophone the going xylophone off, the nice. diggy, 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 diggy. or marimba, whatever just that was. Quality product all around there. Yeah. So for more information on the bonus round, go to rhythmandpixels.com. We'll have links to all of these artists, uh, band camps, and sound clouds, and everywhere where you can go and buy this music and support the artists. All right, thank you for joining us on episode 26-8 of Rhythm and Pixels. This is our our look at the history and 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 everything about the Sega Channel. Sega. I think we covered everything we could about the Sega Channel. It's one of those things where there's not a lot to talk about about it, but what there is to talk about is very prominent. And I can appreciate that cuz again, this Sega Channel was a product that Back in the day, Lisa, where I in my neck of the woods before we were all internet connected, no one knew about. <laughs> just kind of stumbled across it somehow, and to this day, I barely can remember how. I just know I remember bugging the living daylights out of the cable company to get it, and nobody else knew that I knew had it but me. People would come to my house to yeah, play it. I had no idea even. you needed a second cable line coming through the house. Yep, just to do it. So, so you had it coming into your room, or was it into like the living room? That was my mother's room. Oh, okay, okay. Because I know, I remember so your mom's bedroom, room like had. Yeah. Yeah, so we had to go in there to play it, which was interesting because that means that there was no. Well, we were younger then, so it wasn't like you could really play late night games anyway. Yeah, yeah. It was like, get out, it's bedtime. But <laughs> for the most part, if we wanted to play longer than. If we basically if her shows were coming on and yeah. we wanted to keep playing games, there was a, it was a negotiation tactic. They're like, come on, mom, I love you, do this thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know, man. When I wanted to play, like, you know, if I was like, oh, I'll play some more Mortal Kombat or whatever, like, I couldn't if there was a game on, you know? If there was, yeah. like, football or basketball or something, like, I was immediately voted out. That is one thing where I will, to the to the day I die, see, I, look, I feel very thankful for. I had, the so while the Sega channel didn't run on my TV, I did have my own TV for video games. I got it as a Christmas present one year. It was one of those classic rabbit ears 13 channel dial tvs uhf and vhf tvs mm -hmm. i used to love that you had to screw you had to take the screwdriver to loosen up the screws and then jam the forks in and then tighten them back up that tv 
Um, but I used to use that to play NES and Super Nintendo. And I pretty much used that television up until 1996 when I bought... No, 97 is when I bought that TV and got fired from KB right afterwards, mm. which was pretty funny there. But um, yeah, I used that TV for years. From like the it says from the eighties up till ninety seven. That's like that's like how those games are meant to be played, right? Like on the not just on the CRT, but like attached to like where not even like into the cable part of the TV. But you're right, you had to get like a screwdriver and attach it to where the antenna gets attached to the TV, or the RF switch. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob F switch. There, yeah, see, little lesson for folks who also like legacy music. Are that's where his name comes from. Yeah, that episode five or episode four. I remember I, I went back. When I first listened to the Legacy Music Hour, I went back to old episodes trying to figure out why they called him Rob F. Switch. Because RF Switch. Yeah, the RF Switch, and I thought that was hilarious. And then the rest is history. I'm just Nichols. I'm just Rob Nichols. <laughs> Rob F. Nichols. I'm not. I'm not. I'm the not sad playing. part is if you were to just come up one day and go, I am RF Nichols. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think it's funny. Like, I'm, I'm really hardcore back into DDR. Like, I have been for a while, but. Um, like I'm on Twitch and I'm doing like some tournaments and I'm, I'm helping produce content for the game and I'm going by either my name or by like Rabuman or whatever. But I might remember back in the day I was DJ You're zero, DJ zero. And that's what everybody I, called me. Like I still have your old CD. I, know. I was, I found a whole bunch of them like in the closet. So I kept a lot of that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I wonder if I went back to use that name, if anyone would recognize it, but I don't think so. I wouldn't think. Well, it's so. funny. Like now, like, I have you as DJ Zero, and I have another friend. Well, he kept using you, but he goes by Zero also. His uh, Zero comes from Mega Man X. Yeah, I see. I would just, I would just start using my real name. Um, I'm thinking about. Are you changing your name to Zero? No, I'm changing my name to Rob Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> but you're already Rob Nichols. I was, I was thinking of submitting some music to this too, some contest and some other stuff. But I'm just going to use my real name because I'm not 20 year old Rob anymore. <laughs> I'm just me. They can use you can my be DJ can, adult. They can look me up in the phone book. Now that's <laughs> the white pages. Yeah, the white pages. I mean, God, we're ancient. There's something to be said about that too. I've been thinking about that a lot lately because you know we're getting older and you know ancienty and stuff. Mm. The thought that when we were kids and our parents bought these game consoles into our homes. They were mainly buying them for us themselves, and the fathers were were buying them for themselves. But they were also like, "But the kid, my son might like this. You know, here's a Coleco Vision. Try it out." And then they would all get bored of it over time. But the kids stuck with it. And then the parents claimed they all grew out of games eventually, and they grew out of. They, but they stayed with their old music and their old TV shows. Mm. Meanwhile, you look at our generation. Not even talking about generations after us, just our generation. We not only kept playing video games, but we never quote-unquote aged out of them as our parents claimed to have done and claimed we would also do. And due to the, going back to the mentioning earlier, the throwaway culture of like, you know, disposable music and stuff, just how we were able to get it, we never really settled on to classic music either. At least most people I know, I know I haven't, like, I know people are still talking about classic. Listen to Blink One Eighty Two. You know that's classic rock now. Whereas I'm like, I have to listen to whatever I want to listen to. I haven't settled on a band yet. I still love Bis, and I still love, you know, like a lot of the artists I used to like back in the day. But I don't settle on them. 
most of all until now I'm learning about in the last like five years. I think it's like so, um like you don't like like they didn't get too old to watch movies, you know, it's just another medium. And I think at the time it was it was being marketed as toys, right? It's being marketed as as things for, for kids. But as we've gotten older and the the storytelling has changed, the, the technology has changed, it's for everybody now. Like they make well, you it gotta for remember, kids, and I only learned adults. this. Hmm? Well, keep in mind, I only and I only know this because it came up on SNL, SML a couple days ago. They only started getting marketed to kids when Nintendo took the helm. Hmm. Back when Coleco and Commodore and all those were the big dogs, yeah. they were just computer systems. Well, so that's, that's something that to may say. well be where the shift happened. So if you go back to and I listened to a lot about this on um, the great podcast that is called the Retro Knots. They had a whole couple episodes, two the two episodes on um, Gunpei Yokoi, and he was one of the original. I know that name. Yeah, he's one. Of, he developed the. Um, I think it was the, the Game vir- Boy, right? The Game Boy, the Virtual Boy, uh, the Game and Watch. Like he would, he his his thing was taking old technology or existing technology and making a game or a toy out of it. And so Nintendo got into the business of, of you know producing games for kids and for families. And so that's why they developed the Famicom, the family computer system. But um, what, what the, 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 the parallel there was that he was seeing people with all of these new calculators with LCD screens on them, right? There was, there was a brand new thing. He thought, well, if calculators are out now, can we make a game out of the calculator? And so that's is that how the Game Boy came to be, and that 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 was how the LCD like screen like you know those those types of uh, the oh like the game the and game watch, and watch the Tiger handheld electronics like that's how all that came to be, um, yeah, and then eventually the Game Boy and then all that other stuff. So um, the Virtual Boy was the same way because the the it was <laughs> it was it's a it's a it's a, it's a spinning it's, it's a it's a mirror system inside the device with spinning. Um, uh, array of LEDs, red LEDs, which are inexpensive, and that's that's why it's all red, because <laughs> they were everywhere. And, and any other color was super expensive at the time. Um, so yeah, Gunpei Yokoi um, it can be attributed to that. We're getting way off topic. Um, <laughs> that's a what bit, we do. Getting a little late for Rob. So um, we're going to end it on this. Um, uh, we don't have a topic for next week yet, but the week after that. We are getting into our Patreon exclusive um, live streamed episode. At the theme, you want to do winter? Let's just do winter blitz. The winter blitz because it is nonstop snowing here in Delaware and I am tired of it. And we call it. it winter blitz, mind you. Mm-hmm. It's another case of take it for how you want it to mean. Like it's winter blitz. It's not just winter, it's winter blitz. Yeah, winter crazy. Um, so, <laughs> what do you yeah, think so of Blitz? Uh, next Thursday. Next Thursday after this episode comes out, um, if you're playing along at home. Um, but until then, if you want to get in contact with us at the show, um, if you want to say hi, or if you have a track suggestion or a topic suggestion or anything else, please send us an email. Rhythmandpixels at hotmail.com. And if you want to learn more about our show or get a full track listing from our episodes or access to all of our episodes, you can do that at our handy-dandy website. RhythmandPixels.com And that's been going through some changes. So um, if you go there and you look at it and it looks different. Yeah, changes for now. Let me know if you like it or not. I don't know. It's cool. I can keep checking it out. I was at the gym when you sent it earlier. I was like, crap, I got to check it out later. Um, and then the movement happened, and then the jelly beans, you know. Oh, and then the jelly beans. 
Uh, also, we have a uh, radio station on YouTube, and soon to be, it's going to be uh, restreamed on the Twitch as well. But uh, YouTube.com slash Rhythm and Pixels. It is called Rhythm and Pixels Radio. It's nothing but 8-bit and 16-bit classics and deep cuts. Um, it even has some additional um, music from the Commodore 64 recorded from real hardware by Michael Bridgewater of the Forever Sound version. Uh, who actually well, we had need a, to get back on this show. Yeah, he did a he did a, an episode recently. He actually released an episode of his show about a series of pinball games on the Amigo. It had some amazing music on it. So he, he is some a categories. great musician, and he's just a really, really cool guy all around. Um, and if you wanted to support the show, um, all you got to do is tell people about it. You know, eat with people while discussing it. Exactly. Um, write down the the URL on a piece of paper and, and mail it to everyone in your neighborhood. Put it. Put Spell it. Spell it in the snow. Go with coffee. <laughs> with coffee. Go. Uh, go into parking lots and you can take. You know, you take like their windshield wipers and put it underneath their windshield wipers. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Don't do that. Yeah, They'll hate the show. <laughs> um, you, you can do that. Uh, yeah, I, I, we just we just love that you appreciate the show if you're listening to it and you enjoy it. Um, if you'd like to support us in other ways, go to patreon.com slash rhythm and pixels. Um, by being a member there, you get access to a weekly uh, prequel episode of me and Pernell catching up. This week is all about me uh, playing Persona 5, and we're kind of talking about Persona games in general. And that was a lot of fun. You also get access to a monthly live stream uh, recording. Uh, just once a month and at even the highest tiers you can even get shout outs on our radio station and even put your own shout out your own voice on our radio station in rotation um, I go to play like every 10 or 20 minutes not 10 but probably every 20 or 30 minutes I didn't time it I just like count every 15 or 20 tracks and stick it in there um, so yeah you can get that too but we also like to thank uh, members at the highest levels of our Patreon list on the at the end of every episode so, Frankly Zappa, Mike Myers, That Nick Walker, Ed Wilson from the VG Embassy, Matt Holmquist, Michael Jennings, Davey Cakes, Justin Schneider from XVGM Radio, Sonic Medley, Taco, Harold Howard, Dave Taylor, Reinhardt Selkova, Andreas Milberg, Dan Loughton, Sleepy S'more, Steve Miller, The Autistic Gamer 89, Cameron Worma, Christopher Shenstrom, Bobby Arson from 1UP Funk, Wicked Sephiroth, Carlos Kung Fu Carlito from the Heroes 3 podcast, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound Version podcast, and Brian Pitt. So, yes, thank you all. All thank you. Thank you very much for supporting our show. Um, it's very much appreciated. Though also, one thing worth humorously pointing out, you know Rob's tired right now because he didn't make any joke references the I entire time. <laughs> he played it straight. I know. If, I'm, if I have like any, any little bit of energy, I'm going to mess up a bunch of names and make fun of you. Um, but not tonight. Um, uh, other ways to support the show is you can go to uh, rhythmandpixels.com slash merch, M-E-R-C-H, and we have some cool t-shirts, uh, video game music-related t-shirts. Uh, Run VGM, we have the Lobster Racing shirt, we have the House of the Dead Rhythm and Pixels shirt, Initial P, that's a cool one. Still love that hoodie. And we'll have some more on the way as I can think of interesting things to do. So uh, rhythmandpixels.com slash merch, check that out. And that's all I've got. Thanks for listening to the show. Purnell, thanks for talking with me. Thanks for talking with me. What are you talking about? Purnell, thanks for being a friend. <laughs> Travel down the road. Sometimes back again. Sometimes like back again. Um, there's a... Have you ever seen... Have you ever, ever Mod? You ever watch Mod? And then there's Mod. 
<laughs> oh, I have a Plex server, and every time I go to watch like a Star Trek episode, uh, Maud shows up first for some reason. <laughs> every time I see it, I go, oh, and then there's Maud. <laughs> some shows are just better left to their jingles, and yeah, Maud yeah. is one of them. Maud is like, one of them. Then there's Maud. Um, so, Pranel, thank you so much for listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening to... But also, and remember, this is an odd duck one, but eh, it's one of those things you just say, which is, well, it's a couple of things. This is a layered one, really, which is that, well, social media, internet, dialogue, communications, we are all open to that now. We're all talking. We're broadcasting our thoughts all the time. Uh, Rob and I do it every single freaking week. Now, with that said, um, there comes an element of general responsibility that comes with that which is to say when you when you're online try to be as positive as you can even if you're doing like you know actual dialogue of disagreements don't be that guy that just pops up just to be a jerk because no one needs it no one wants it and it makes you look bad even if you feel as though that's awesome it's just not it's just not if you don't like a topic, just kind of scroll by. Unless you want to actually genuinely discuss the dislike, which is fine. But if you just want to troll it, you're probably better off being positive somewhere else. Don't waste your energy. And if you feel as though you want to say something on the internet, always make it something that you feel comfortable with saying, mm. that you feel confident in saying, and that it is something that you're okay with anybody and their grandmother, especially their grandmother, hearing it. Because... You should be able to feel comfortable and back your words online, just as if you were saying them to anybody in person. It's just, it's about accountability. Be who you are, everywhere you are. Digitally, analog, analog, <laughs> vid, you know, everywhere. I be love, yourself. I love it's about accountability. You're, you, you, Purnell, you're going to hold them accountable. Not me. I, I just, think that's funny. You're gonna, you're gonna like. I will not. You're, the, you're, you're taking, you're keeping lists of names, like oh. Nonsense, nonsense. It's like the way I always put it to people is that <laughs> I, I say a lot of random crap online. I make a list. What are you talking about? Well, I, my, if I made a list, it'd be a terrible list. It'd be huge. <laughs> it's just if I say a lot of random crap all the time, <laughs> make up words. And I get a little emotionally passionate and I just fire off at the mouth. This is a known characteristic about me. But what is also known about me is that, and this is even true if you find something that I said five years ago, and I'm stating it right now. If I say something, I can understand that I said it. And if someone were to come to me and say, Pernell, you said that thing. I'm not going to go, oh, I never said that. I'll go either, yeah, I said that and I still stand by it. Or, yeah, I said that, but that was a long time ago, too. I'm different now, you know, it's not, that's old jive, jive or whatever. But the point is, I'm not going to deny saying something I said. Just be yourself. Just be your freaking self. And be honorable. Own up to your ish. Oops. Own up to your words. <laughs> and it just makes things better. And I think the last element to this is also, don't be a liar. Because lying sucks. And quite frankly, it takes way too much effort to keep a lie going anyway. I just tell the truth. Someone says, hey, what about that thing you did? Oh, yeah, I did that. Whew, I just saved some brain cells by having to burn them out, come up with another fantastic lie, ultimately resulting in me holding up a bank to try to prove that I was asking something stupid. You know what I'm saying? Have a good night. Oh, I need some soda. <laughs> this is too
Oh my god. 